2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 5. I need to share it with you. I, I put together a list um, end of last year uh, for one of the classes that I teach. And um, I think it turned out to be 16 reasons um, why you should go to church. Amen. Because, you know, a lot of times we tell folks, just got born again or maybe new to a relationship with the Lord. And, you know, you tell them you should go to church, you go to church. And, and um, so why? You know, why should you go to church? And one of those 16 reasons, and, and I don't fully understand it other than the Bible says that God set it up this way, is that one of the primary ways God speaks into your life is through a pastor. Amen. I, if you think I'm full of myself, you don't know me. I'm not saying it. I'm just telling you. It's, I'm, as, I'm as amazed by it as you are. Amen. Um, but one of the primary ways he speaks into your life is through a pastor. And so, you know, I take very seriously what we do in here and what we say in here. And I really believe, amen, once again tonight that the Lord has got something life-changing to speak into our hearts and lives. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it simply says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Every time I begin a sermon on the subject of faith, I'm extremely tempted to go through about a 15 or 20 minute list of the benefits of faith and why we've been given faith and what faith produces in our lives and how we overcome by faith, how we receive by faith, how we live by faith, how we walk in our identity. By, and it's just, in other words, faith is so central to the life that God created us to live. Um, but if we do that every time, <laughs> there's not much time left for us to get into other things. So let me just say tonight that the Bible makes it very clear that the victory that overcomes anything and everything in this world, that whatever challenge you face, you try to stop you, is, is faith. The victory that overcomes the world is faith. Amen. Faith is how we receive from God. Faith is how we walk out our true identity in Christ. Faith is how we uh, pull things that are already ours from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the physical. We could just go on and on and on. So faith is such an important subject. I think it bears, you know, studying frequently here at Heritage, and, and we do that. Um, and so the Holy Spirit has led us back to this subject once again. If we walk by faith, not by sight. In this passage, what we see is walking or living by faith, walking, living by sight, are, are basically put on two sides opposed to one another. In other words, you could, you could almost translate this verse by writing it this way, walking by faith versus walking by sight. In other words, if you're walking by sight, that's going to prevent you from walking by faith. But if you're walking by faith, that's going to prevent you from walking by sight. That's how opposed these two ways of going about life actually are to one another. Now, it's important for us also to understand what it means to walk by faith because there's a whole bunch of folks on planet Earth who think they're walking by faith when they are actually walking by sight. And so we need to understand what these things actually mean. Paul talked about the life that he lives now. He said that he lives by faith. 
now as opposed to how he used to live. And how he used to live or how he used to walk or go about this thing called life is by sight. Now, it almost seems like we're going about this in an odd fashion because as much as I want to get straight into what it means to walk by faith, I think we need to first understand a little better about what it also means to walk by sight. So then we've asked this question, what does it mean to walk by sight? Walking by sight is going about life based upon the way things look, seem, or feel. Walking by sight is going about life based upon the way things look, seem, or feel. I want to try to expand on that just a little bit further tonight. So when we say going about life based upon the way things look, seem, or feel, maybe we could put into the mix of that sentence the idea of responding. Responding. Why is attitude so important in life? Because your attitude determines your response. And it's how we respond in life. So many times we, we like to focus in on the enemy of your soul wants you to focus in on all the things that have been done to you. But let me tell you something tonight. There are things that people say about us. There are things that people have done to us. There are things that have, have happened to us in a, in a negative sense. Amen. That are in the past now, so forth and so on. And you say, Pastor Mark, I don't have any control over that. Well, yes, you do. You have control over how you respond. And if you will learn how to respond by faith according to the Word of God, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. God is big enough to get you over that to heal you and restore you from any negative effect that that may have had upon you and even make up to you the resources and even the years or time that was lost in that, in that effort, in that effort against you. So what we do have control over is our response. So when we walk by sight, this means we respond to situations based upon how those situations look. How those situations seem, how it appears, or how that situation makes us feel. Are you understand what I'm saying here? In other words, to, to just simply say, walking by sight is going about life based upon the way things look, seem, or feel. Remember, life is choice driven. Life is choice driven. One choice leads to another choice. We can make choices that limit the choices that we have available to us, right? <laughs> In other words, if you choose to rob a bank, that's your choice tonight. But all other future choices just got cut almost to kneel. I mean, your only choice is to run the rest of your life or go to prison for a long time. Are you with me? So life is choice-driven. So walking by sight then is a way of life, a way of living based upon the way things look, seem, or feel are based upon responding to crisis, responding to people, responding to diagnosis, responding to lack, you know, whatever issue, problem, circumstance may be in our lives, responding to that based upon the way it looks. Have you ever stopped to consider how many times a day you talk about the way something looks? It looks like, it looks to me, it seems like, it seems to me, feels like, feels to me. I just feel like I ought to this. <laughs> Come on now. 
I just feel like I ought to do that. It just seems to me that we should do this. It, you know, based upon the way this thing looks. And so we're responding based upon those things. That's walking by sight. Walking by faith, on the other hand, is going about life based upon what you know is true, but not yet visible. Wednesday before last, we talked about a confidence, a quiet confidence, an assurance that comes from walking by faith. Where people look at you like you know something they don't know, and it's because you do know something that they don't know. You know the truth. You know the truth. We had, um, we, we had a computer here at the church that somehow got connected to a printer we were no longer using. And every time I would go to print something on that computer, it would pull up the default printer that wasn't even connected to it any longer and would therefore have to go into settings and deliberately, intentionally, you hearing me tonight, purposefully choose the one that was connected to it. And then, you know, two or three days later, print something else, go to print it. It's not printing what's going on. Oh, man. The idea is it had a default setting that had to be changed. As long as that default setting was in place, every time you go to print something, it's going to go to that setting until you change that setting. The default setting for the world is walk by sight. The, in other words, the go-to setting, the go-to response, the go-to, uh, you know, as far as trying to figure out what we're going to do next for the world is to walk by sight. But we're not of the world anymore. We are, we are changing our default settings. We are changing our go-to response from one that is based upon the way things look, the way things seem, the way things feel, to a response that's based upon thus saith the word of the living God. This is what God says is true. Amen. Now, we also said, praise God, that walking by sight means your thoughts, words, and actions align with the things you see going on all around you. This is really important now. As a matter of fact, we had some of the brothers last Wednesday night help us kind of act this out. Your thoughts, your words, and then your actions, your response, what you actually do. When we're walking by sight, that's when our thoughts, words, and actions are lining up with the things that we see going on all around us. Our thoughts, words, and actions are aligning with the problem. Our minds have become focused on the problem. Our words are speaking the problem. And our actions are, are again, following suit as well with the problem. Walking by sight means your thoughts, words, and actions align with the things you see going on all around you, as opposed to walking by faith. Walking by faith is when your thoughts, words, and actions align with what the Word of God says 
Instead of what the problem says. Instead of how it looks, seems, or feels based upon what we see. Walking by sight. Walking by what we see. So Pastor Mark, I'm getting this, but you're kind of explaining this like in a real mechanical way, and I'm just not sure I'm getting on that level. Now listen to me, please. Faith is not mechanical. Faith is spiritual. And every person in this room has been given the measure of faith by your Creator. You have that faith inside of you. It's in the same way you have love inside of you. The Bible says as a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit is inside of you pouring out, pouring out the love of God in your heart. John the Beloved said that if we see a brother in need and do not help him, we are shutting off, we are stopping up, we are damming up the flow of God's love because the Holy Spirit is in you pouring out the love. And, and so the love is there and it will flow through you unless you allow the enemy to do something to trick you into turning that flow off, shutting that flow down. I'm offering to you tonight that faith is the same. Faith is inside of you and in the same way the love of God is inside of you and wants to flow forth out from your life and make a difference in the world around you. Faith is inside of you. God put it there and that faith was never meant to be dormant inside of you but it was meant to be alive and active and flowing and working and changing things in your life and in the world around you. We keep trying to figure out how to, how to operate in faith. We keep trying to figure out how to make this faith thing work for us and try to figure out how to look at faith and all these other things and, and, and see if we can't get some faith going in our lives and, and, and what does it take to get it jump-started and so forth and so on. Listen to me, please. It's a matter of getting things out of the way that are holding it back. Faith is a force inside of you wanting to be released. This is why the enemy, he tries and strives and works so hard to get your thoughts focused on the negative things, focused on the problem. If he can get your thoughts on the problem, then the words that come out of your mouth are going to be problem-based and your actions, responses are going to line up with that. We've already received an offering. Let me just try to give you a practical example. You've got a financial crisis. It's driving you crazy, right? Oh my God, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to... How are we going to pay this? How? And so the bills keep talking to you. The problem keeps screaming at you. And you think about it when you go to bed at night. You think about it when you get up in the morning. You know, when your mind drifts at work, it goes to that problem. So your thoughts are aligning with the financial problem. If your thoughts align with it, then your words, you're going to start talking about it. Man, I don't, your closest friends, listen, man, I just, you know, sometimes we even do it in the form of a prayer request, right? I need you to pray for me, man. We, we, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask people to pray. But again, when our minds are consumed with the problem, the words that come out of our mouth are going to be problem-based, problem-focused, problem-oriented. And then, if our thoughts are consumed with it, our words are consumed with it, then how is that going to affect our actions? Now we, you know, listen, please... Do not fall for the oldest financial trick in the book the devil uses against you. When a farmer starts getting low on corn, he better not eat his seed. He better plant that seed. Because that seed 
is the key to the next harvest in his life. When we align our thoughts with a financial problem, we align our words with a financial problem, next thing you know, we align our actions with a financial problem. We, we stop giving, we stop tithing, we start pulling back from all of that. Now, what if we have the financial problem? It's a real problem. In other words, it's not an imaginary problem. And faith is not denying that we have a problem. See, that's what a lot of people try to do. They try to make faith some kind of magic formula, some kind of hocus-pocus, you know. Just say this three times and poof, it's gone, or what have you, you know. Abracadabra faith, abracadabra faith. No, that's not, that's not how it works. If you've got a problem, you've got a problem. You've got to own it for you can disown it. But faith says this, or faith works this way. I recognize that I have a problem that I cannot solve by myself. So I'm going to align my thoughts with the promises. I'm going to wake up confessing that God supplies all of my needs according to His riches in glory. I'm going to wake up speaking out of my mouth that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and He adds no sorrow with it. In other words, I'm going to get my thoughts focused on what God has to say about the problem in my life. I'm going to get what God has to say, not only focused on that in my thoughts, I'm going to get what He has to say coming out of my mouth, and then I'm going to align my actions with what I'm thinking, with what I'm saying, then I'm going to follow suit with what I do. How are we going to go about it? See, back to, remember, walking by faith, how we move about, how we go about. How are you going to go about solving the financial problem? Again, if you've got one, you've got one. How are you going to go about solving it? Well, I guess I'm going to get another job, but what if you've already got three jobs? Well, I guess I'm going to go deeper in debt. Well, I guess, I, see, that's how it looks, how it seems, how it feels. That's solving a problem based upon other people's experiences. That's walking by sight. Walking by faith says, God has already provided for me. He's already met this need for me. And so I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to go about fixing this problem by faith. Are you seeing this? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. This is often known as the love chapter, but man, there's some other really, really good and important stuff in this chapter as well. And I'll just look at verse 13 tonight. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. This is, a, this is another way of Paul talking about a shift that has taken place in his life. He shifted from walking by sight to walking by faith. Now he's talking about this shift that has taken place that involves thinking, understanding, and speaking like a child to shifting over to thinking, understand, speaking like an adult. Think about it now. Is it possible for someone to think like a child, understand like a child, and speak like a child to then live as an adult? 
If you think like a child, understand, process information like a child, and then talk like a child, it's not stated here. But I think it's not stated because the idea is for us to come to the next conclusion. If we think like a child, understand like a child, speak like a child, we're going to live like a child. Let me get down here with you for a minute. So the Bible teaches us about faith, does it not? I mean, it's got some really good things that we need to understand about faith. But see, one of the problems that, that we have when it comes to faith is that we, we try to look at it from the perspective of like a system to work. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of sermons, a whole lot of teachings that are available that basically create a formula for faith. You know, in other words, you, you've got faith, so look, if you'll, if you'll do this, if you'll say this, if you'll, you know. It, 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 and so I'm not saying that those formulas are wrong, but it's back to that eternal principle the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There are a lot of people who have tried to reduce faith to a formula, and in the process, they've set the spirit of faith aside. And they've tried to make it something that they can control. They've tried to make faith something that is just a sophisticated good luck charm. And, and it's almost like become in the same realm or genre as a, in a lot of people's hearts and minds as superstition. Right? Black cat, broken mirror, walking under a ladder, and don't ever speak anything negative. It's kind of like all in that together. So watch this now. We learn some things about faith and we learn that confession, what you speak out of your mouth, is a critical part of faith. And if, and if you think that, you're right. The Bible teaches us that. So there are a lot of people who pick up on that. They receive some teaching about that. They hear about that and they think, okay, man, then this is going to solve all my problems. I just need to say it. I just need to keep saying it, and no matter, how, no matter what, I'm just going to say it, 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 okay? Well, that's all fine and dandy. I highly recommend it even. But it doesn't matter how many times you say it if your thoughts are still consumed and obsessed with the problem. If your thoughts are still aligned with the problem, you can sit there and make every kind of faith confession you want, but because your thoughts are still consumed with the problem, right? Now, there's another leg to this. We also see in Scripture where faith without any works is dead. Now, we could say faith without any 
corresponding action. So the idea is that you believe something in your heart and if you really believe it, then you're going to act on it in faith. Again, a sound biblical principle. Read James. It's right there for us. Read what Jesus taught us. It's right there for us. But here's the problem again. Many people have taken the spirit of faith and set it aside, reduced faith to a formula, and now it's like, well, if I can just keep walking on my broken leg, then my broken leg will be healed. Right? In other words, if I can just, if, if I can just there's a phrase that has developed through all this, act your faith. I love that. Don't miss I'm not. If you think I'm belittling this, I am not. There is a step of faith, and there's a room full of people here. You've taken them. And when you took that step of faith, God met you there, and you experienced breakthroughs in your life. That I'm not belittling this. Are you hearing me? But I think where a lot of people become disillusioned is they're so focused upon, they're so obsessed with the problem, yet while remaining focused on the problem, they're trying to change what they say or change what they do without ever changing their thoughts and thinking. And they're not experiencing the breakthroughs in faith that they could otherwise be experiencing. Oh, sweet Jesus. Let me show you this right quick, okay? Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Turn there with me, please. All right, I'm gonna, I, I don't know how much of this I'm going to be able to get to tonight, but let me, let me s- set this up, and maybe you want to study some of it out on your own, okay? It wasn't until Abraham aligned his thoughts with the promises of God that he experienced the breakthrough of faith in his life. As long as his focus was upon the problem and the issue as long as he continued to give consideration to everything that was preventing him from experiencing what God promised to give him, he was, uh, was basically doing without, so to speak, inheriting or, or experiencing that promise in his life. The moment he shifted from giving consideration to his age and the deadness of Sarah's womb, his, thought, his thoughts and thinking went something like this. She couldn't get pregnant when she was 20, and now she's almost 100. He couldn't get past that thought. Now, he loved God. He made a covenant with God. He prayed to God. He experienced victories in other areas of his life in God. Is that not, come on, I'm going to raise my hand. Is that not, can that not be a frustrating thing when you're experiencing breakthroughs through faith in other areas of your life, but you got that one area that just seems like faith is not even making a dent in it? (laughs) What, you know? So Abraham's experienced all kinds of victories, all kinds, I mean, just amazing what God is doing. God's blessing him, all this other stuff, right? But there's that one thing, and it was the most important thing to him. I guarantee if you ask him, he would give every penny he had to have a son with his wife Sarah. The one part that he could never get past. 
was his thoughts kept aligning with all the conditions, all the circumstances. Let's go, verse 17, Romans 4 and 17. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope and hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Let me stop here for a moment. This is some of the richest teachings on the subject of faith that you will ever find in the scriptures. Okay? And notice you're going to see elements of things that we've already talked about. Here we see that God calls things that be not as though they were. That is, that is one of the fundamental ways words are involved in the faith process. Let's just say it that way. Is that okay? He calls things that be not as though they were. So you got somebody who's got a really big issue, really big problem in their lives, and all of a sudden they hear somebody teach on this, and they're like, okay, man, I just need to start calling this thing something different. Please absolutely start calling it something different. But that's not all that Abraham did. He didn't just change his name to mean father of a multitude, right? Who contrary to hope in hope believed. What does this mean, contrary to hope in hope believed? It means that every time he tried to go by the way things looked, seemed, and felt, he came up hopeless. There was nothing in the physical realm for him to focus on that gave him hope. Everywhere he looked, walking by sight, everywhere he looked, everything he looked at, as far as this part of what God had promised him, it said no way, no hope. Where was the breakthrough? He found hope in something that was invisible. Are you hearing me? He found hope by deliberately not aligning his thoughts with the circumstances and conditions, but aligning his thoughts with what God had said, with what God had promised. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. This was a... Um, what was that that they said when they stepped on the moon? This was a, a giant leap for, you know, for, you know, small step for man, giant leap for mankind. This, this was a giant leap for me. When I realized that I was not obligated to continue to focus on and consider the problem. You realize this, right? He didn't get any younger. What's that saying? You ain't getting any younger, right? He didn't get any younger. And Sarah wasn't getting any more fertile. In other words, that never changed. What did change? How he viewed it. The place he gave it. The amount of time he spent thinking about it the amount of time he spent beating himself up over it. That's what changed. He went from considering that every time he would try to muster up some faith to pray about it and believe God about it, all he could think about 
was how old he was and how infertile she was. His thoughts kept aligning with that. Are you seeing this? His thoughts aligned with it. His words aligned with it. His actions aligned with it. Now all of a sudden he finds hope where there is no hope by focusing on something that can't be seen. He shifts his consideration from the circumstances and the problem to the promises of God. Verse 20, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. There are certain phrases in the Bible that communicate an infinitely larger punch than they would appear to communicate on the surface. And this one right here, strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. This doesn't mean a few times a month, you know, he put on a Hillsong CD and sang a couple of tunes. That's not what this means, right? He became as obsessed with and as focused upon the promise that God made him as he was once obsessed with and focused upon how old he was and how infertile Sarah was. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is what he's saying here, giving glory to God. He shifted his consideration. He aligned his thoughts with the promises of God and he kept his thoughts aligned with those promises by giving glory to the God who made those promises to him. By magnifying God, by exalting God. by Listen, some, someone's ability to make good on a promise is directly related to the one who made the promise. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if somebody promises to pay off your house, <laughs> well, their ability to make good on that promise is based upon how much money they have to do it, their ability to do it. You understand what I'm saying? So by focusing on God and the one who made the promise, not just the promise itself, but the one who made the promise, the, the goodness and, and how he's blessed him in other areas of his life and how good he's been to him and how many times he's been there for him. And even when Abraham acted foolish and silly, God was there to protect him. And he focused on these things. He gave glory to God on these things. And, and by doing this, he's aligning his thoughts. Now, by aligning his thoughts, he starts, his words start to change. Actions start to change. Here comes Abe with the baby carriage, right? He's, in other words, the promise is then revealed. All right, let me, let me try to give you some overview because I feel like I'm, I've got to hit a target tonight. Let me, just, let me hit it this way, okay? I've shown it to you here. I'm going to show it to you. And it's more clear, even than it is here, in my opinion, in the life of Jesus. And what I mean is, where the real pressure is being applied by the enemy is in our thoughts. We, we put a lot of emphasis on what we say and what we do, and I'm not saying that what you say and what you do is not important. The breakthrough for Abraham was when his focus shifted from the problem to the promise. That was the breakthrough. 
had that shift never taken place. He would have remained weak in faith. He would have continued to stagger at what God said was going to happen in his life. And he would have failed to receive what God had already said was his. With Jesus, when Satan tempted him, we see that as elaborate as these temptations were, what Satan was actually trying to do was to get Jesus to shift his focus from what Father put him on this earth to do to take a path of least resistance. That's exactly what all... In other words, every, every bit of that in the wilderness that Jesus experienced was Satan calling into question who he is, Satan trying to get him to doubt whether or not God would love him and protect him. And notice in each of those temptations, the devil kept trying to show him something. Right? Showing him rocks that look like bread. Showing him all the kingdoms of this world. Showing him all the glory of the kingdoms of this world. Kept trying to get him to do what? To take his focus off of, of, of what, you know, where it was firmly fixed to focusing on other things. Ultimately, you could describe those other things as the path of least resistance. Back to that phrase. You hadn't heard that one in a week or two. But it wasn't the words that Satan was after. And, and I know ultimately he was trying to get Jesus to do something that would be called a sin, right? But the pressure was not on the action. Satan knew that if he put the pressure on the thinking... The words would follow, and the actions would follow that. I'll finish here. We'll look at this verse by verse, hopefully next week. But do you remember when Jesus finally told the disciples what his ultimate mission was? He said, now that you know who I am, you need to know what I'm here to do. They're going to take me and they're going to kill me and they're going to bury me, but three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter says, Peter says, over my dead body. That's the paraphrase, right? Peter says, oh, no, 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 Jesus. We will not stand for that one moment. That is not going to happen. And Jesus said, Peter, thank you for your kind words and I know you mean well in what you're saying and I know that you don't understand this right now and I just appreciate, you know, the fact that you're willing to try to protect me, son, but just please, you're not really sure what you're talking about right now, so um, if you would, just let some things unfold and it'll make more sense to you maybe later rather than sooner, but you'll figure it out in the end. That's not what he said, was it? I mean, it was a response from Jesus that seemed so out of character for him. But there's no such thing as a response for Jesus from Jesus that's out of character for him, right? So this means this extreme or seemingly extreme response is one that we need to learn from. What did he say to Peter, his friend? Get behind me, Satan. 
you are an offense unto me, for you are more mindful of the things of men than the things of God. Why would Jesus respond like that? I'll tell you why. Satan, again, was behind the words that came out of Peter's mouth. And what were those words intended to do? They were intended to shift Jesus' focus from his true mission to a path of least resistance. And Jesus, first of all, he recognized where that thinking was coming from. Wasn't coming from Peter. It was coming from Satan. And Jesus identified it as coming from Satan. Did he not? He identified it as coming from Satan and he refused to entertain that thought for one second. In other words, the enemy is trying to get him to shift from his mission to an alternate route. And Jesus would not allow that thought in his mind. He did not say, listen to me now, he did not say, Peter, what are you saying? He did not say, Peter, what are you doing? He, in essence, said, Peter, what are you thinking? Right? Are you you following that? Peter said something here. He didn't say, Peter, what are you saying? He didn't say, your words, your actions are an offense to me. Your words are an offense to me. He said, you're an offense to me because you are more mindful of what people who walk by sight would do in this situation than what people who walk by faith would do in this situation. Yes? Okay, stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Something to chew on tonight? Got something to chew on? Amen. Is this helping you, I hope? It's helping me. It's, 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 um, in other words, the, I know you're standing, so I'll, finish, I'll be brief here, but listen to me now. The devil never wants you to make a faith confession, and he never wants you to, to have any kind of actions that line up with God's word. He, you know, he's going to fight you on that. He's going to resist you on that. But he will concede that as long as he can keep your mind obsessed with the problem, the crisis, the issue, the this, the that, right? In other words, he, he's like, well, you know. The risk he runs is faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. In other words, the more you say that out of your mouth and the more your ear hears it, the greater probability that your, your thoughts are going to shift back to the word of God. But again, the devil is a relentless negotiator. And if he can't keep you from making a faith confession or lining up your actions with what God's word says, you know, he'll concede that. But where he draws that absolute battle line is whatever he can do to keep you obsessed with and focused on and marinating in and wallowing in your mind, thinking on, focused on the problem. I'm telling you. 
we often say things like, well, try to be positive. Try to say positive things. Try to do positive things. There's all that's great information, right? The real challenge is, the real challenge here, and I'm, I'm offering you a challenge tonight. Start paying attention to your thoughts. Start paying attention to what you're thinking about. How much time are you spending aligning your thoughts with, with, with what you see, what you, how things seem, how things look, how things feel, versus aligning your thoughts with the Word of God? Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for life and peace. Father, we pray over this situation down in Florida, such a senseless tragedy. Father, we recognize Satan as being an influencer and a manipulator because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We pray for the families affected. We pray for the community affected. We pray over, Lord, our nation. We pray protection and safety over all, over all of our schools, all of, over all of our children, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that we're going to live our lives, Lord, in such a way as that our light will shine and people will see our good works and they'll glorify you in heaven. That's our, that's our, our commitment, our purpose, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being here. Have a great rest of your night and week, and we'll see you Sunday, if not before. Good things.